Fail Films 101 is not an actual college course and cannot be taken for college credit. It is not affiliated with any university, community college, junior college, vocational training program, or for-profit corporation masquerading as a school of any kind. Professor Jay has no formal training as an educator and, in fact, went to a Missouri State College for about two semesters, ran out of money, and dropped out as a result. And now that I've covered my own ass legally, let's get on with Fail Films 101. Hello, class, and welcome to Fail Films 101, a pod class about the shittiest movies humankind has to offer and why we love them. I'm your instructor, Professor Jay, and class is in session. So I know that I said that the next episode was going to be Josie and the Pussycats. I'm still doing it, I promise. But I also really, really, really wanted to do one of my favorite bad movies of the modern age with the friend that... I went to see it with. And our trip to this movie was kind of the precursor to our bad movie club and this podcast. So we kind of owe a lot to this movie. With me today is Sarah Brooks. Hi, Sarah. Hello. You may remember Sarah from several other episodes, as well as being my fabulous, wonderful editor who has saved my butt on many, many occasions. Aw, shucks both within and without the podcast, if that makes sense. <laughs> Aww. Hell yeah. So, the movie we're covering today, I don't even know if I said the name of the movie or not, did I? <laughs> I know I built it up, and then I never mentioned the name of the movie, so we're talking about the Bye Bye Man. Uh, our origin story. Yes. Our origin story. Sarah and I, like, hung out for the first time in person in years, pretty much. Or was that like, I forget how many times that was. It was fairly into recently into reconnecting. Yeah. And we went to the Japanese buffet, and then we went to go see this movie. And holy shit. It we did pretty not much, disappoint. It did not. We were pretty much crying from laughter the whole time. Mm-hmm. For so many reasons. <laughs> and then we got home and found all of the memes about this movie. Like long, long touching fingers. <laughs> Dear Lord. Which I can't even like take the I can't even take the villain seriously because of how long his fingers are. There's there's no possible way. I mean, we'll get into the whole character design, but suffice it to say, there's pretty much nothing you can take seriously about this as a horror movie. One hundred percent. Like, you can tell they were trying so hard to make this the next Nightmare on Elm Street. They threw in, like, everything that you could think of, and it just, nope, it all fell flat. It did, but at least it was entertaining. Right. At least it gave us that. (laughs) It blessed us. Yes. So I want to say it was 2014 when this movie came out, right? Um, let me confirm. Da, 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 da. Whoa, this 2017, January. Oh, dang. It's more recent than I thought. I mean, time is fake, but yeah. True. <laughs> Especially right now. But I do know that it was adopted from 
The Bridge to Body Island, which was a chapter from a book called The President's Vampire. That may sound fake, but I assure you it's very real. <laughs> and the book was later actually renamed The Bye Bye Man and Other Strange But True Tales when it was republished in 2016. They were banking on the Bye Bye Man to be like a hit so that they could probably launch a series of movies based on the president's vampire right? and the other stories. And then it did not work. Well, I mean, to be fair, the box office was not bad compared to the budget, but that also doesn't mean it was a good film. True. I mean... Let's be real. The box office was probably from people like us. Right. <laughs> be like, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. Sign yeah, they, me up. They hear, um, they hear of a movie called The Bye Bye Man, and they're like, oh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> it's going to be not great. Like, that's literally exactly what we did. We saw the ridiculous title and was like, oh, this is going to be bad. And then we watched the trailer and we were like, oh, this is going to be bad. Mm -hmm. So the story is based on an allegedly true story that was told to the author. And the gist is that the character is supposed to be reminiscent of an infectious disease, but of the mind. Once you know he exists, he's constantly on your mind and if you tell other people his name they're gonna catch it too i mean like i've said a million times brilliant concept for a horror story mm -hmm. like you just describe that to anyone and it's like oh shit that sounds really cool but then you add in all the other aspects of the story and the movie and it just ruins it it really does but <laughs> There are so many things that could have made this movie good. Like you said, it was a gold concept. It just failed spectacularly. And I mean, we'll we'll get into this when we discuss the plot, but my main thesis is that they tried to do too much. Like they tried to add too many elements to the story. They should have kept it simple and they just went crazy it's like if they filmed a you know when you go on wikipedia and you get really into an article and then you start clicking on another link in the article and you fall down this rabbit hole and you, mm -hmm. you've started looking up the history of the stanley cup and then you wind up at the 1990s riot at riverport amphitheater in st louis <laughs> based on a true story yes <laughs> based on a story that happens at least three times a week Ooh, yeah that's that's exactly it it's like a big rabbit hole like let me just think of all these horror concepts that might not even necessarily go well together but we're just gonna throw them all in for flavor and instead it just is really weird it was a lot to process. Mm -hmm. Like way too much to process. Take your classic, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Those have brilliant but simple premises. Mm -hmm. Very straightforward, 
It has a formula that they've proven time and time again works. It's not ADHD the movie. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to knock on someone for trying to be creative, I guess. But just because you pitch something in a writer's room for a movie doesn't mean you just have to accept everything. <laughs> yeah. 100%. You don't have to green light every screen that passes you or mm -hmm. every every screenplay that passes you. But they did not follow film school 101 with this. <laughs> not even like bad film school. They just went to intro to communications and were like, okay, we're good. We know everything we need to know. That's my theory. Dear Lord. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of notes on the production itself, but the critics completely panned it. It is at an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it has an average rating on the site of 3.44 out of 10. Oh. Mm-hmm. That seems like right in that sweet spot where it's not abysmal, but it's like, yeah, this is bad in an enjoyable way. Yes. It teeters that very fine line. Mm -hmm. We ready to talk about the train wreck of a plot? No pun intended. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit intended. Yes. Ooh, we will get there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So we open up on some train sound effects over like the opening pr production credits and all that. Just a bunch of train sound effects. One of the main motifs, if you will. Yes. And it's a very, very subtle motif. That's a lie. It's, <laughs> it's very not subtle at all. They lay it on thick. Just like everything else. Oh, yes. This movie does not know anything about subtlety. And then we find ourselves in front of a typical split-level suburban home in 1969 in Madison, Wisconsin, which, you know, typical boring suburb thing. An old blue car pulls up into the driveway, and a nerdy-looking guy with glasses and a sweater vest starts pounding on the door and asking for someone named Jane. Jane opens up and he's like, hey, did you tell anyone the name? And she says that she told someone named Rick. Rick found it funny. And we find out the nerdy looking dude's name is Larry. Larry Redmond. Larry says, I'm sorry, and then pulls a gun out of his car to shoot Jane. Jane slams the door. He kicks it down. And then we find ourselves zooming down some train tracks out of nowhere. And that's when we see the name, the Bye Bye Man. <laughs> the one, the only. Often imitated, never duplicated. <laughs> so then, before we know it, Larry is pointing a gun at Rick, who is on the ground trying to crawl away. And Larry is asking Rick if he told anyone. Rick says he told someone named Giselle. Larry shoots Rick and yells, I'm going to stop you. And then Larry uh, 
chases Giselle down the street while muttering, don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it, over and over again. Giselle says that she didn't tell anyone and he shoots her. And then we find ourselves on some more train tracks. Y'all know how the room has panning shots of San Francisco in between scenes? They do that shit with train tracks in this one. You know, I hadn't realized that, but that is exactly the filler in between scenes. It's just fucking trains. Exactly. Like, I'm just expecting to hear like the, the room music in the background. Do, 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 do. <laughs> but no, it's just loud train noises. So that's a thing. And then we find ourselves on a college campus with three young, attractive college kids walking around and talking about a home that they're about to, to rent out. They're literally about to move in. It's about 20 minutes away and they're, su they're super happy to be getting out of the dorms. The house is big and empty and creepy and apparently it's cold. And this is where we find out that the girl of the group is dating one of the guys their names are Sasha and Elliot, and they're moving in with his friend, John. And they're the three best friends that anyone could have. <laughs> Except for a case of raging jealousy. Right. But it's very evident from the very beginning that there is, not, there is nothing that could come between this inseparable group of people. Wow. <laughs> we'll get to that. So apparently this place is supposed to come fully furnished. It is not, it appears. So they're starting to like plan out where they're going to put all the furniture and Elliot and Sasha are kissing because they're a cute couple. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. It's not nauseating at all. And Elliot, again, you know, smiles and kisses his girlfriend when she's like, okay, we'll, we'll rent it, whatever. And then they go in the basement and they find all the furniture. And the basement, it's established, is very creepy, as is the majority of the house. Let's be real. It's a pretty fucking creepy house. Yeah, it's like, I don't care if you're a college kid on a budget. I feel like that's... Rule number one, if the house is giving off creepy vibes, it doesn't matter how cheap it is. Don't fucking do it to yourself. Right. 100%. Unless you're like me and my wife. <laughs> and we go out seeking that shit on purpose. Well, yeah, that's true. But these kids are just like, yeah, I want to have a chill time. I want to be free of the dorms. I want to feel like we're living in our own place like we're an official couple mm -hmm. yeah that is accurate if you're not like me and my wife and you don't want to talk to ghosts maybe listen <laughs> to your gut they did not sign up for the spooky shit but that is what they got yep 100 percent. so for long they've got their room all set up and they decide to watch something stupid his words after finishing their little study session they have in their new room. Then the girl finds a ransom style love note from Elliot on their bed. Oh, I like, forgot about that. Yeah. Who does that? 
I don't know. Like, if you wanted to establish early on that this dude's probably not in the most mentally healthy state, we got that going for us. Like, before shit even gets real, you're pulling that kind of thing. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Which gives me a new theory about this movie that it all takes place inside Elliot's head. I can vibe with that. I see where you're coming from. Like, that literally just popped into my head, and I was like, that's a thing that could have happened, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, they decide to watch something stupid. He goes to brush his teeth. She's like, oh, this is sweet and not at all a red flag. <laughs> And then she sees some, she hears something coming from their weirdly tiny closet. Again, the signs are right in front of you. Yup. We looked at a house with weirdly tiny doors in its attic, and we did not purchase that house. (laughs) I don't blame you. And I mean, I have an oddly shaped closet in one of my houses. It is very small and narrow, but it's also very evidently from when the home was being remodeled. Mm-hmm. There's even, like, an outlet for an old wood-burning stove in that closet. So I know that, like, right where my TV is, there's prob- there was probably once a wood-burning stove. This house was built in, like, 190- or 1917 or something like that. It's a very old house from when this was a very old mining town. Oh, dang. I think yours is just slightly older than ours. Nice. I'm kind of a slut for old houses. (laughs) Yeah, point is, normally, weirdly tiny doors with no context or explanation, get out of there. Yeah, get the fuck out. And the door is open. She did not open it. He did not open it. Nobody opened it. Here's something coming from the tiny closet, and then a door slams. She tells Elliot it wasn't funny, and he's like, what are you talking about? Oh, shit. Dum-dum-dum. <laughs> that I realize, that is, is what I see I wrote. Dum-dum-dum. <laughs> and then we see a pickup truck driving down the road. It is Elliot's brother, sister-in-law, and niece. Get out of the car and present him with a bottle of booze as a housewarming present. Literally, their eight-year-old hands him the bottle of booze. Right. She might even be younger than eight. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, I know they're close, but why did they bring her to the housewarming party? Exactly. As we see in about three seconds, this is a mostly college-age housewarming party. There is drinking. There is beer pong. There's probably pot going around. Yeah, it wasn't like a little family-friendly gathering. It was yeah, only it, their friends. Exactly. It was definitely not someplace I would bring a young child. I mean, I get that they had to introduce her character, but it's just, it doesn't make sense. No, it does not. It could have been just, like, them coming over and not a college party. That would have been plenty of establishment, I feel like. Yeah, being like, hey, we brought you this alcohol because we know you're having a party later tonight. Mm Mm-hmm. 
or the honestly the party scene actually i guess the party scene was kind of necessary because it introduced kim but and the and more of the jealousy mm -hmm, that too a lot was established at that party speaking of which <laughs> there's a scene like it pretty much immediately cuts to the party and elliot and his brother whose name is virgil which really does not suit him in my opinion that we get a lot of exposition out of this moment basically they talk about how their parents died in a crash and how Virgil's always wanting to protect his baby brother and his his family and oh enjoy these years now I didn't get to because I was saddled the family young geez mm -hmm. he said it in nicer terms than that but the point was very clear that he was basically at this party to live vicariously talk about like bringing down the mood right just let your little brother enjoy being young and adorable mm -hmm. speaking of him being young and adorable he's like oh man i want what you have i want a, i want a beautiful wife and he's pointing at sasha and a beautiful daughter and virgil's just like yeah 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 just don't rush it buddy so yeah that was a nice little moment that is when the little girl gets bored and finds herself in Elliot's room, which makes sense because there's not a lot for a young child to do at this party with no other young children. Right. So she opens the tiny door and then closes it when she hears a coin fall. Uh-oh. She picks up the coin and then leaves the room, and then she has a moment of wait a minute, this is probably my uncle's. I shouldn't steal from him. And then she turns around and puts it on the nightstand. And later then she tells Elliot because she's an honest little kid. Yeah, and then Virgil that is a good kid. Yup, very good kid. And then Virgil and his family go ahead and leave. The girlfriend's friend, whose name is Kim, Oh, at this point, we didn't know Sasha's name, so I referred to her as the girlfriend in my notes. We don't even know the characters' names until like 15, 20 minutes in. It's redonkulous. That's this movie for you. Mm-hmm. So she says she's going to stay and do a spiritual cleansing with, with Sage after everybody leaves. Then Elliot finds the coin on his end table and then puts it in the drawer of the end table and falls out. He does it again, it falls out. So he takes the drawer out. And at the bottom of the drawer, there's a piece of paper that is stuck to it. And all over it, like circling from the middle outward, it's scrolled. Don't think it, don't say it, don't, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it. And Elliot's like, He's literally like spinning the drawer to read it, even though it very clearly just says the same thing over and over again. He's probably drunk, let's be real. Right. It's not implied that he's drunk, but he is at his own house party. So probably. But then he takes the paper out of the bottom of the drawer and it at the very bottom of the drawer is carved the bye-bye man. Dun, dun, dun. And 
I don't think he says it out loud at that point, but he's like, well, that's a stupid name. Which it is. Yeah, it 100% is. It's ridiculous. Like, who names their villain the Bye-Bye Man? I mean, the only thing that I can wonder, now that we're talking about it, is if he got that name because it's, like, an infectious mind disease. So you want something memorable that people will be like, oh, hear this funny story about the bye-bye man. And then they'll just keep passing along because it sounds so ridiculous. See, that could be it. But at the same time, they probably could have thought of another another name besides the bye-bye man. Oh, yeah. Like, I really, I even doubt that was their thought process. But that's me trying to be generous with the theory. Fair. <laughs> They could have named him Sparky Sparky Boom Boom Man. (laughs) Sorry, I've been watching Avatar. Uh, But at least Sokka was a literal child when he came up with that name. mm -hmm. Grown adults came up with the Bye-Bye Man. Uh, Bless him for trying, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Kim is burning the sage. Sasha says she heard noises and felt bad vibes, but now they're all gone, now that the sage has been burned. And then John, who is the roommate, starts to hit on Kim. He, like, kind of mentions her being psychic a little bit, but she keeps correcting him and saying sensitive. I guess that's the correct term. I don't know. I don't know anything about that kind of stuff in general. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's some nuance there, or maybe psychic too often comes with, like, the feeling of them being fake, like a a mall psychic. Yeah, that makes sense. It could be that or nuance. It could go either way, really. She's a pretty chill character. Mm Mm-hmm. For the most part. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, the, I guess you could call them the core characters, I like her. Me too. She seems to be the one with the most personality, let's be real. Oh, yeah. 100%. I don't really know anything else about the other characters' personalities other than John and Elliot were best friends from childhood. And that's not even a personality thing. Right. It's just established through pictures when they were younger. Mm -hmm. So Elliot is skeptical of all of this. And Kim's like, well, why don't we do a seance? And then the next thing we know, they're doing a seance and the boys are not taking it seriously at all. They're kind of giggling about it. And then Kim reveals that she knows more about Elliot than he realizes. His parents died in a crash. And now the, par- the dead parents are worried about both him and his brother. Because they feel like apparently the brother bites off more than he can chew, trying to protect Elliot. Hmm. Foreshadowing, I guess. <laughs> and Elliot, of course, is still skeptical. So he's like, okay, let's try this. So he hides some keys in a pot on the stove and asks him to, or asks her to tell him in them. And Kim's like, this is stupid, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. 
and Elliot's like, oh, I guess you are a pretty good faker. And then she's like, no, they were on a, you hid them in a pot on the stove. That's not why I'm going to stop. And he's trying to play it off like, oh, whatever, you heard me put them in the pot. And she's like, no, something is not good right now. And then she starts saying, don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it. And starting to look like she's having a seizure, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. But I guess she was just possessed by the sudden knowledge of the bye-bye man. (laughs) And Sasha's like, don't don't think and don't say it, what? And John's like, what? And then Elliot, it hits him and he just goes, the bye-bye man. <laughs> and then the candle blows out immediately after he says the bye bye man. Because of course. Yep. That was the bye bye man suddenly entering their lives. <laughs> and then Kim collapses. Because who wouldn't when they were put being suddenly possessed by the knowledge of hmm. bye bye man. I'm going to say his name like that every time now. Yes. It's going to be great. But yeah, like, bless her heart. She was really putting her all into this god-awful movie. <laughs> I know. She's, like, the only decent actress in the movie. Yeah. Like you said the other day, Sasha, I can, I just can't get behind. She doesn't put emotion into anything. I know. It's like, now... I love Kristen Stewart as an actress. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. When you give her a role she cares about, she's phenomenal. Her role in The Runaways, at first I was skeptical about her playing Joan Jett, but she rocked it. But if you give her something she doesn't care about at all, like Twilight, it shows. Right. To the point where people make fun of her for it. Picture, picture Kristen Stewart playing Bella but 20 times worse. Yeah. And what's even worse is that I know this actor actress was probably trying. Unfortunately. I know. She's the one they wrote that Coldplay song about. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. <laughs> yeah, like, I get having flat characters in a horror movie but like give us a little something just a little something like anything you're literally just all of these characters are if the color beige were a person Mm -hmm. which is truly unfortunate not to keep making comparisons to nightmare on elm street (laughs) but at least those characters had a little bit of personality yeah, it's like they didn't even get far enough in development to give them standard tropes. It's just like, oh, here's three people. Yeah. In the house. Mm-hmm. Establish their relationships with each other, but don't establish anything else. Mm-hmm. And that's like putting the bare minimum effort in. It's... And I mean, honestly, it doesn't give us a reason to care about them very much because we know nothing about them. Exactly. Like, you care about people that you know things about. Or you feel like you can relate to them and, like, put yourself in their shoes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what they were trying to do by making them so flat. You could project just about anything you want onto them. 
but that was just too much nothing. Mm-hmm. Like way too much nothing. They're just throwing out some empty shells of people and putting them on screen. That made no sense, did it? Like cardboard stand-ups of people? Yes. But not even like just blank cardboard stand-ups. Like literally just the shape of a person. Right. A silhouette. Mm-hmm. This could be a stand-up of Johnny Depp. Or it could be Shrek when he was turned into a human. <laughs> you don't know. I'm getting way too off the rails here. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is it is good that we address it. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So, let's see. We'd finished the seance. Kim was freaked out. Sasha oh, yeah. was existing. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. So, later on in the night, Elliot wakes up to a shadowy figure in a hooded robe just staring at him. And then Elliot turns on the light. It's just a bathrobe hanging up in an odd uh, position. Yeah, every time I watch that, I'm like, why would you hang that there? You're begging to freak yourself out. Right? That and, like, whose bathrobe lays naturally like that when they hang it up? Right. They obviously, first of all, completely ignored the, the notion of fabric softener. <laughs> My assumption, considering that this is probably a 19-year-old boy, is that the robe was probably gross and crusty and immovable. Ah, uh, yeah, could be... That's the only way it would be laying naturally like that. Right. But also, what teenage boy uses a bathrobe? Good point. <laughs> Too many mysteries. <laughs> yeah. We could probably make a podcast just about the mysteries of this movie. <laughs> the Not an episode, a series. <laughs> It's like basically anything that doesn't quite make sense, we're just putting it in because the movie. Mm-hmm, because why not? There's no logic, it's just there's for some reason a robe here and it's going to freak him out. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Very much so. So he turns on the light, it's just the bathrobe, and then all of a sudden Sasha starts coughing. And he's like, you okay? And she's like, yeah. He says to her, Good night. I love you. And she says, I love you, John. Oh, shit. And he's like, that's not my name. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, are you joking? Please tell me you're joking. But she's asleep. So Elliot goes downstairs and he hears some scraping noises. Yeah, it was a long night. Mm-hmm. Very much so. He checks the room where the party was and nobody's there except for that shadowy figure behind him. Oh, shit. They are not even remotely subtle with that either. You can tell they tried to be. They, like, put him in the shadows and everything. But it was, like, a very heavy-handed slap in the face that it was, he was right behind him. Could have played with the lighting there a little bit and made it way more subtle and creepy. But no, you did not do that. But anyway, he does not notice the shadowy figure behind him. And then Sasha comes downstairs to check on him. 
The scraping noises continue as they both stare out the window into space. They're not even at a point where they would be possessed yet. It, it's just very unsettling. Mm -hmm. Now it's the next morning. John takes Kim home and she thanks him for being nice to her. And she invites him inside. And he's not feeling it because apparently he couldn't get hard last night. Womp womp. Mm-hmm. And she's like, don't worry, it happens to lots of guys. And he's like, it doesn't happen to me. And she says, yeah, it doesn't happen to me either. Mm. Awkward. Mm-hmm. Which, that could be interpreted two ways, I think. It doesn't happen to her with the guys she sleeps or sleeps with or it doesn't happen to her own dick ah. i'm here for trans kim interesting i feel that me and my trans head, head cannons they never really go away <laughs> my question is why was this a necessary conversation in the movie Maybe to give John a sense of weakness because he's kind of viewed as like this perfect macho dude. I don't know if I would say perfect, but <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Well, they, they try to paint off his appearance at least as perfect. Like, man, I can never compare to my, my beautiful, handsome best friend, John. Mm -hmm, exactly. Like the room with Johnny and Mark. <laughs> and deeper we go. Right? John is the Mark of the Bye Bye Man. Oh, God. Everything is adding up. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? What if there was a crossover of the room and the Bye Bye Man? Ooh. I am here for it. What if Johnny's the bye-bye man? Well, I mean... <laughs> they did try to make him a vampire. Wait a minute, though. So if in this equation, Johnny is Elliot, then that would make Denny the bye-bye man. <laughs> oh, shit. You right. I just like to watch you guys. <laughs> Mind blown. Oh, man. That's it. Podcast over. <laughs> Nothing can be topped after that. Everyone go home. We figured out all we need to know. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't even remember where we were. Oh, right. John couldn't get his dick up. Yeah. <laughs> this like 19 year old boy with uh, erectile dysfunction right that's a thing that happens right I mean it seems very rare but I guess maybe or maybe that was the start of the bye bye man getting to him that could be let's go with that because mm -hmm, that's also when you know that's when Sasha starts coughing Mm -hmm. And that's when Elliot starts getting the jealousy of what he thinks is his girlfriend cheating on him with his best friend. 
Ah, it all lines up. This is like the picture of Charlie Day at, in It's Always Sunny with <laughs> all the... Uh, yes. <laughs> with all the red strings connecting and him like conspiracy theorizing. This is that the podcast. That's yeah, what this like, episode is. I feel like we're giving them a lot of credit trying to like connect all these dots. I highly doubt they did that on purpose, but we're just over here like well clearly this was at the same time as this, so this all that's the reason. Yep, this is us being high school English teachers. Oh, I love it though. <laughs> right. Just assigning meaning to everything when the the original people did not intend it. So as she's like flirting with him and trying to get him to fuck her again. In the car? No, he's try she's trying to get him to come inside. Okay. That's when he starts seeing some maggots on her and in her hair. Just a lovely visual. Mm-hmm. Very, very gross. And he's he's like, nope, nope, get out. Please get out of my car. I have to go. Maggie's in her hair. He snaps out of it, drops her off, drives away. Back at the house, Elliot sees some pretty deep scratches on the wall of the brick staircase that leads into the house. Like there's a brick staircase and then there's like a little brick wall so you don't fall to, over to the side of the staircase. Does that make sense? Like a rail. But made yeah. brick. And yeah, some deep scratch marks in there. There had to be some really sharp nails to cut into that. Because it's brick. Yeah, that's like one of the only unsettling things is those have got to be some really sharp claws. Mm-hmm. That is not someone who I would want to get a back rub from. <laughs> no. In any way, shape, or form. And Sasha is coughing some more, which is not good. They start talking about the scratches, and they weren't there last night. And John's like, oh, it's probably one of the douchebags who was at the party last night. And then Sasha coughs even more. And John comes into the living room and tells her how beautiful and clean she looks before walking away. An odd compliment. Yeah, it is definitely an odd compliment. And she's like, um, what? And that is when Elliot asks John about how it went with Kim last night. And he's like, yeah, I got to go wash her off of me because she's gross like a pig. And Elliot's like, that's not really a cool thing to say, my dude. <laughs> right. Which, good for him for calling out that bullshit. Mm-hmm. But then John is like, that's easy for you to say. Your girlfriend is perfect. Oh, shit. Planting some more jealousy seeds there very subtly. That was a joke. It wasn't subtle at all. <laughs> Not in the slightest. And then Sasha kind of gets lost in a little fantasy for a little bit where she suddenly sees a very naked John standing behind Elliot 
and mm-hmm. he's like mouthing to her forget about him come with me mm-hmm. and then she kind of snaps out of it and he's like you went away for for a minute there are you okay and she's like oh i was just thinking and he says about john and there's no response and then sasha is getting sicker and more coughing john is acting a little weird i don't remember what specifically he was doing all it says in my notes is john is acting weird (laughs) and then elliot calls virgil to vent about Sasha getting sick and John acting weird. And Virgil suggests they get lunch tomorrow, but Elliot has to go because he hears more weird scraping noises. Mm. Oh shit. And Elliot, of course, thinks it's John and Sasha having sex. Because that's what that sounds like? I'm guessing he's thinking it's the bed scraping against the floor maybe or is that just giving them too much credit again probably (laughs) he's like what are you guys doing like he's about to fucking catch them in the act or something right and it's like why is that the first place where your mind goes paranoia Mm -hmm. he looks all over the house for the source of noise does not find it until he goes to check the basement. Of course, again, the basement is creepy as fuck. But there's more. There's more scratch marks in the concrete basement wall. <gasps> and they're deep. They are very, very deep. Dun, dun. And then Elliot hears a coin drop again. Dun, dun, dun. That's when we see some kind of animal walking behind Elliot when he goes to pick up the coin. Not quite sure what kind of animal, but it's definitely something with four legs. So it could be just about anything. And then later, as Elliot is comparing the two coins side by side, both the one his niece uh, found and the one that he just found downstairs, that's when Sasha tells him that he went away too. Like earlier, he thought he heard John and Sasha doing the do. (laughs) But she was like, yeah, you went away too. We told you that we weren't doing anything, but you didn't hear us. And she was, she's like, I went away too. And then she shows him a notebook full of, don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it. And drawings of that weird hooded figure. Spoopy. Oh, so spoopy. Very creppy. <laughs> she's like, now that we know his name, it's like he's been coming for me. And he says, the bye-bye man isn't real. He's just in their heads. And she very, very flatly, you can tell that this woman is trying so hard to be dramatic right now. And it is the most flat, boring performance I could ever imagine for this line. Hmm. She st- starts talking about how it is real. Ideas are real. And even if it's not real, then we're all losing our minds at the same time. How likely is that, she says. Like, she that says that. It's supposed to be a big 
turning point and she mm. probably felt so proud to have that line and it's like eh. yeah it's definitely a thing and then we see a train coming towards us it is train number 424 hmm. we see that train a fair amount i don't think we ever learn what the 424 means or if it's supposed to mean anything so we see that train coming towards us, and then we see a rear view of our main trio naked on the tracks with the train coming towards them. Oh, that is one of my favorite scenes, because it's like, why? <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not? It's like, you know what? We, we got to put this train in this movie so many times. And we've got these these three core characters. How about we just put them together, but then spice it up a little bit. Have them all be naked. Yeah, why not? They're all young and hot. Boom. I could write a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. We probably could write a better movie than The Bye Bye Man. So, Elliot wakes up. The tiny closet door is open again. This time, there are some animalistic eyes staring back at him. Oh shit. And he's like, what is that? But by the time Sasha wakes up to see it, the eyes are gone. And then when he lays back down, the shadowy figure starts to approach Elliot while pointing at him oh with his long, long touching finger. <laughs> and Elliot's like, oh, what the fuck? And he turns on the light, and the bye bye man is gone. And then on campus the next day, Elliot says that he's going to go research the name while Sasha is going to go ask the landlord to basically find them a new house. They come up with their little game plan, and Elliot promises that they'll get this all figured out and they'll meet up at 2 o'clock later on. And then Homeboy opens his library database on his computer and runs a search for the Bye Bye Man. That search brings up no results. And then he searches for don't think it, don't say it, which takes him to the dead archives of the library, which basically means it's full of news articles that were written but never published for various reasons. The librarian explains all of this to us. Which is actually kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't even realize that that was a thing in newspapers until this movie. So there was at least something educational about this. <laughs> One little grain of something. Right. So the librarian helps him find some of these dead articles on the subject. And we see one that was written by Larry Redman. Or Redman, oh. or however you pronounce his name. Mm -hmm. We know this man. Oh, snap. And then, meanwhile, Sasha approaches an older gentleman in a greenhouse whose name is literally Mr. Daisy. Yep. That's not on the nose at all. Great writing, everyone. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I'm living at this house in Sun Prairie with uh, some friends. And he's like, oh, yes, the two handsome young men. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which, I mean, let's be real. 
there are probably not very many straight men named Mr. Daisy. Yeah. And he seems a little extra, so that's probably not his real name. Or we're just giving them too much credit again. <laughs> they probably don't know a whole lot about queer people. Yeah, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, especially judging by the very boring portrayal of Mr. Daisy. So she starts telling Mr. Daisy about how awful the house is, and then she's like, oh, it's super cold in here. And he's like, you're in a hot house. It's actually very hot in here. Maybe you should be laying in bed right now. Which makes sense. If anyone is freezing in a greenhouse, you're probably not feeling very good. And that's when he, she mentions the nightstand. And he's like, what nightstand? Then we cut to John. He's showing up late to class. When he does sit down, he doesn't pay attention. He starts looking through pictures on his phone. Because that's what we all should be doing in classes that we're paying to be in, right? As he's scrolling through these pictures, we start seeing, you know, pictures of him and Elliot when they were you know, probably in high school, and then it gets back to some pictures of them in elementary school, and then we see pictures of Wyvine Man, and they're like old sepia-toned pictures of him and what appears to be an English Mastiff on a train, and as he scrolls through the pictures, they kind of start to animate, and he's slowly reaching out his long, long touching finger. <laughs> And then the professor like slams down on John's desk and says, welcome back. Which, let's be real, is probably exactly what I would be doing to some of you guys right about now if we were in a physical classroom setting. Because I understand that this movie is probably a little on the boring side. Because these characters are so fucking flat. Yeah, they don't, they don't do a whole lot on their own accord. They really don't. So after that, Elliot starts explaining what happened to the library and basically explaining how they got to know about the Bye Bye Man and how they heard the name and all that fun stuff. And he's like, maybe writing it down will help, will uh, prevent people from saying the name. And then that causes her to say the name. Oh shit. Now she's fucked. It's like, come on, man. You had to tell this perfectly lovely librarian the, the name. Exactly. She's like the one of the only characters I actually give a shit about. I love her. I know. She seems like a very sweet lady. Very smart and very chill. Mm-hmm. She's the glue holding this movie together. Mm-hmm. So he goes over the article... And the article is talking about a teenager who went on a killing spree. Who, he killed his own family and four other teens. And then he said the bye-bye man made him do it. The librarian mentions that the reporter who wrote that article up, Larry Redmond, wound up killing eight of his loved ones after completing the article. All family and friends. Hmm. Then we see a flashback to... Larry killing a bunch of people and then attempting to kill himself using that gun. He runs out of bullets when he tries to kill himself. So we then see the hooded figure, the bye-bye man, in the house. Larry stares at him and says, you won't win. I won't let you. 
and then he drinks some cleaner he found under the sink and then dies while the bye-bye man smiles and watches. Mm. Spoopy. So back in the library, the librarian starts saying that the story was essentially redacted so that no one else could read it. And that's probably why it's in the dead articles pile or whatever. And she said, she's like, Larry was batshit crazy, but by not publishing any of this, he was trying to get rid of the bye-bye man permanently. Makes sense. It does indeed. Probably the only intelligent character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. So Elliot still has time before he has to meet Sasha at like two o'clock. So he opts to stay and keeps researching. And this scene, holy Jesus, this scene. <laughs> this was kind of like when we saw this in the theater, I remember we were both just like, "What? why the fuck is this necessary? Right. Burned into my memory. Yes. So he's continuing his research and he's writing down the name. He's like, no, don't write it either, idiot. He literally says that to himself. But then he looks up and the bye-bye man is sitting at the library table, the farthest away from him. Lights flicker. You hear a train sound effect. <laughs> he's at the next table up. Lights flicker. You hear a train. He's at the next table up. And this continues nonstop until the bye-bye man <laughs> gets to the very next table from Elliot. And then all of a sudden, Elliot snaps out of it. And he looks down at his phone. His battery is dying, and it's 2.32. He promised to meet Sasha at 2. So he's like, oh shit, I'm late. And he grabs his stuff and bolts out of the library and starts running down the street. Oh, I'm sorry. While, while the bye-bye man was slowly approaching, I completely forgot to mention this part. He is crossing out all mentions of the bye-bye man from the, from the articles. And these are the original articles. Like the librarian literally asked him to wear gloves so he doesn't smudge up these articles. And when he snaps out of it, the librarian sees him, like, scribbling out Bye-Bye Man's name and, like, slams down her hand next to him and is like, boy, what are you doing? Right. Messing with the integrity of the files. Mm-hmm. And then he looks down and he's, that's when he sees his phone and is like, oh, shit, I gotta go. Like, while he's being yelled at by the librarian. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to basically further redact the Bye-Bye Man while the Bye-Bye Man slowly approaches him. <laughs> And, like, I, I guess, like, we'd seen him a couple times in flashbacks or, like, hints or whatever. But it's, like, mm -hmm. what a fucking character reveal in the present day to just have him sitting ominously in a library. <laughs> I know. It would be one thing if you were, like, slowly walking towards him. That would be more intimidating. But just, like, playing musical chairs. I know! <laughs> to the sounds of trains, no less. Mm hmm. It makes it 20 times worse. This movie. Let's play the most boring game of musical chairs ever. Whenever you <laughs> hear the train sound, <laughs> <laughs> just 
fucking movie. <laughs> Who fucking greenlit this is what I want to know. I would love to know. Also, I feel like just like with cats and me reading T.S. Eliot, I'm probably going to have to read this original short story and see if it was this bonkers. Right. I may have to join you on that. I still need to read Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats or whatever it's called. It's very entertaining. It's because T.S. Eliot knew his shit. I mean, he was also pretty wild. But... I mean, he definitely was. But he was a wild genius. He was, he was the King Boomy of his time. <laughs> Except for, with probably a lot more cocaine. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, there was definitely some cocaine involved with a good chunk of his writing. And then even more cocaine went into making Cats the Musical. And then even more cocaine went into the movie. Mm-hmm. Just, I really want to see that butthole cut. Right? <laughs> I'm sure at some point they'll release it. <laughs> Give the people what they want. We demand the butthole cut. <laughs> We demand the butthole cut and a sequel to Snakes on a Plane. <gasps> yes! Oh my god. I mean, you, when I first talked about Snakes on a Plane, I talked about what made Samuel L. Jackson want to do it. How in 2006, he thought the world was fucked up and needed some lighthearted entertainment. Oh man, is it look ever. at where, Yeah, look at where we are now in 2020. Now more than ever... Even more than the first time I said it, we need a sequel to Snakes on a Plane. Put some snakes on a plane. Get it together. Put more snakes on more planes. <laughs> snakes on an airline. <gasps> oh. Or we could just switch up the whole mode of transportation. Snakes on a boat. <gasps> Ooh, snakes on a cruise. I would watch the shit out of snakes on a cruise. Yeah. Imagine them like popping up in the buffet and <gasps> going down the water slides. Oh, it would be like part gremlins. Oh, I love this. Anyway. So he's bolting out of the library because he's running late. Yes, he bolts out of the library, he's running late, and that's when he sees Sasha and John walking down the street. And then he's like, oh, hey, guys, they don't hear him. He tries to catch up to them. He then sees them in a parking lot making out against John's Mustang. Mm. Which, his car is also very much, oh, yeah, we get it. You're the cool guy. Right. So they get in the Mustang after making out on it and then drive off. And he continues to run down the street, but his phone's dead. So Elliot then goes to Kim's house and he hits her up on her intercom that she has at her house for some reason. Hmm. It's not even an apartment building, it's a house. And he's like, hey, I'm sorry. You were right. Some weird shit's going on. I was being a dick. We need to do another seance. I was wrong. And like, yeah, okay, I'll be right down. And then we see her washing some blood off of her hands. 
Very spooky. Spooky. So Kim gets in the car and Elliot's driving down the road and talking about how the bye-bye man doesn't exist anywhere else. And that he's probably looking for him or for all of them. Kim says that he's already found them. And the more that they think about him, the closer the bye-bye man gets. And she doesn't say it in these words, but he basically causes dissociation and both auditory and visual hallucinations. Mm -hmm. And then they start, you know, hallucinating the sound of coins dropping or the sound and sights of trains. And then Kim starts talking about how she, again, this is not her saying it in these words, but it basically spreads like a disease. Anyone who hears the name is infected and eventually dies. Mm -hmm. And she compares it to a cancer. And now the only way to defeat a cancer is to cut it out before it spreads. And Elliot's like, what do you mean by that? And she's like, who else have you told? He's like, I've only told the librarian. And she's like, we need to get to her too. And he's like, wait, what are you talking about? And then Kim sees a car accident on the side of the road that Elliot definitely does not see. It's like a family, the car's completely overturned, somebody's injured. But again, Elliot does not see this, only Kim does. She's yelling at him to stop the car. He eventually stops the car. And she gets out and starts running down the road to help this family that's not there. And then she gets hit by a train. Uh, yep. <laughs> There's no surviving that. And he, like, he tries desperately to get through to her, but either mm -hmm. she can't hear him, or she's just like, this dude's being an idiot. Why wouldn't I help this family? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. At first, she can't hear him, and then when she does hear him, she, she actually does yell, they need our help. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, there's no one there. You need to stop. A train is coming. But she basically realizes the train is there literally the moment before impact. Yeah. And of course, you know, Elliot screams because who wouldn't scream if they saw someone get hit by a train right in front of them? Right. Especially someone who is supposed to be helping them right now. And then when it gets dark, it, the scene of the accident is all taped off. The cops are there. The body's being loaded into the coroner's van. And John and Sasha meet up with Elliot, who is sitting in the back of an ambulance with a trauma blanket over him. So Elliot tells them that the Bye Bye Man's gotten to them, and they can never say the name to anyone. And Elliot's like, you need to promise me you won't say it. And John refuses to promise this for some reason. So Elliot tries to fight John, and then a cop comes up to him and asks if he's on drugs, which, let's be real, he's kind of acting like he is. Hmm. And Elliot's like, there was a hammer in Kim's bag with blood, and the cop says, that's interesting because the train engineer saw you chasing Kim with a hammer. Ooh. And... and Kim's roommate was just killed by a hammer. <gasps> oh, shit. And he's like, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And Sasha says she sees blood. And the cop's like, where? Of course, we don't see any blood. But Sasha sees the cop. So 
eyes gouged out and blood coming out of her mouth all of a sudden. That's too much to handle, obviously. And she throws up. Understandably so. So the cops actually fine. And John decides to take Sasha home to rest. And John promises that neither of them have said the name, but John is still skeptical of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And the cop was trying to get some information out of Elliot about what the name was. And he was basically actually trying to get John to not say the name. John's like, it's the name of something stupid that Elliot thinks is dangerous. I think those are even his exact words. <laughs> so after that little exchange, and Sasha sees the blood, John takes her home, and the cop takes Elliot in for questioning. When they get to the interrogation room, she says that Kim had written a suicide note taking responsibility for the death of her roommate, as well as John, Sasha, and Elliot. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then the cop asks if Elliot had found out about Kim's plan and basically acted in self-defense when he chased her down with the hammer. But Elliot just kept saying, don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it. And then the cop's like, do you want to write it? And he says, no. And she basically tries to pull the good cop routine, trying to get him to say what happened so that she can help him. And then he's like, you'll wish I hadn't. And then he's like, what would you do if you saw the worst crime scene you had ever imagined? Gory, horrible, lots of deaths. And then you went home and your kids asked you to tell them how your day was. Would you tell them the truth and every horrible detail, or would you just give them a hug? Which is actually a pretty good analogy. Yeah, this was one of the few good scenes in this movie. Mm, Yeah, this was like a well-written scene. Maybe not a very well-acted scene. Like, it almost makes you scratch your head, like, how did this end up in this movie? (laughs) Exactly. This was, a, this was a very well thought out scene and it just did not match the rest of the movie. <laughs> Dakota has thoughts too. Dakota, what would you like to add? Ooh. He's got some, uh, he's got some good, he's making some good points. I feel ya. Do you have any, any more thoughts? Ooh. Interesting. Are, are you done? Is that is that your case? Very insightful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's pulling the good cop routine. He delivers this line, and she's she basically admits, "Yeah, I would just hug them." And then he basically begs her not to make him say it, so that he can't spread it. To her. And then Virgil comes to bail him out, and Elliot basically thanks him, and. Virgil's like, what the hell is going on? Of course, Elliot basically delivers the same I can't tell you thing and then drives off. He does he doesn't give him he doesn't give his own brother that speech at all. He just saves that for a cop who knows nothing about him. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, so, maybe he was hoping that since like the cop is a stranger she might need a little convincing but since it's his own brother he would hope that he'd just understand like I don't want to talk about it means like I don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. true that makes sense or maybe we're just giving them too much credit again 
Seems to be a running theme. Yes. It could be either of those things. And then Elliot gets home and he goes up to his room and he walks in on Sasha and John fucking. Well. Or does he? Dum dum dum. So he hits John in the head with a baseball bat instead of, you know, trying to talk to him about this like a sensible human being. And John's like, what What was that about, Elliot? And then Elliot snaps out of it. John is fully clothed. Sasha is also fully clothed and asleep because she's sick. And that's what sick people tend to do. Mm-hmm. Naturally, as one does when they get hit in the head with a baseball bat, John falls to the ground, seemingly unconscious. And Elliot's like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. And he drops the bag. And then Elliot gets a phone call from the librarian, which I don't know how the librarian got his number. Right. My college librarian did not have my phone number. <laughs> That's for darn sure. So she's like, I can't stop thinking about the bye-bye man. Ever since we talked about him, he's been stuck in my head and I've been having these dark thoughts about him. And while he's on the phone, he finds a note saying that the nightstand belonged to Larry Redmond, which I'm guessing that note came from Mr. Daisy because it is on a flower-shaped sticky note. Mm. Could be, could be. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that's the information that Sasha got about the nightstand. She did something right. (laughs) She did a whole plot element. Good right? Job. A plus, Sasha. A plus. So while he's on the phone, he finds that note. Oh, I think the note also even has like his widow's name on there. Why you so give that he, out? I don't know. But Yeah. Even more of a plot element though. That's something. Mm. So he's like, I've got to go. I've got to go talk to his widow. And he hangs up the phone, and after he does, the librarian's like, yeah, I'll be over there to talk to you about this soon. And then when she hangs up the phone, hands down, we see a knife in her hands and two dead bodies behind her. Which just, this is one of the other only good scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. I love how almost cheerful she is on the phone call like yeah it's it's really wild i've been having all these dark thoughts like the bye-bye man (laughs) who would have thought you know it's crazy Mm -hmm. like just being very chill and and level-headed about it and then just like you get the reveal of that pan out and you're like yeah that was like their one their their one good cinematography moment Like, why couldn't you have shot the rest of the movie like this? Right. It would have made things at least a little bit better. So Elliot drags John out of the room, apologizing for almost killing him, and basically saying that he's not going to call an ambulance for John because John's going to say the name and put the paramedics at risk, basically. He says this out loud to John, Mm. but basically to the audience. Right. Because John's knocked out. And then Elliot throws the knife, he goes outside holding the nightstand and just throws it into the woods. 
He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't destroy it. He doesn't burn it or chop it up or anything like that. He just yeets it into the woods. <laughs> Bye. Bye, nightstand. Have fun haunting somebody else. <laughs> That's inevitably, inevitably going to find it like, and give us our sequel bait. You would think that with how concerned he's suddenly become with other people learning the name that he would have done his best to destroy that nightstand so no one else could find it and also learn the name exactly that would have made so much sense instead of just yeeting it into the woods it's so out of character for something that they have spent a good amount of time trying to define for this person for him to suddenly just be like oh this major piece of evidence bye not my problem yeah and this is like an hour and 10 minutes into the movie that he does this mm-hmm. so we've had plenty of time to establish that part of his character <sighs> this fucking movie mm-hmm. so elliot then tells a sleeping Sasha that he's going to go talk to Larry's widow and says, I love you. Don't touch him. Referring to John, I guess, who is, you know, unconscious somewhere else in the house. So that's a thing. And then Elliot drives down the road listening to a weirdly upbeat song. I mean, the music is upbeat, but the lyrics are not. The lyrics are about finding out your girlfriend cheated on you. But it sounds like it's a song by the Monkees. Hmm. Like it's an old 60s song. What a strange choice. Mm-hmm. And like he's like creepily kind of like quickly rocking back and forth and singing along the song. And we really, we did not need this scene. It just threw off the vibe the whole very unsettling mm-hmm. and i could tell that they were going for like a creepy the shining type of thing going on there but it was just uncomfortable more than scary yeah it was definitely an uncomfortable moment that's something i would have put on the cutting room floor but that's just me so after that he gets to Mrs. redmond's house and she tries to get him to leave, but he's not having it. So, of course, Mrs. Redmond invites the stranger into her home. And she gives some more background on how Larry kind of fell down the bye-bye man rabbit hole. <laughs> he said that he didn't have a lot of information to go on when he started writing the story. That sounds familiar, huh? So he did some digging wherever he could find it, and before long, it consumed him to shining levels of out of it. And then we get a little flashback where we see Larry getting his gun and explaining to her what the whole deal is. Like, if you hear the name, you're infected. And he gets out his gun, and he's about to make it his job to, you know, kill everyone who's heard it so it doesn't spread anymore. And she even goes so far as to call him a hero because he basically wiped out the bye-bye man's existence. Or tried his best. Mm-hmm. Erasing everyone who knew. And then Elliot explains that he found the nightstand with the name in it. And then or he found the article with the name in it. And he says, well, 
you have to kill everyone you told and then yourself. It's the only way to stop. And then Elliot's like, no, no, there has to be another way. We have to basically just do our best to forget about him because if we don't think about him, if we don't say his name, it takes away his power. So if we just stop being afraid of him, he won't exist anymore. Which I'm guessing is another way that they wanted to make him the next Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. That sounds familiar, right? Take away his power by not believing in him. And then Mrs. Redman is like, how did you figure this out? My Larry couldn't. And then she pokes the fire, but the fire goes up the fireplace poker and she catches fire. Or so it seems. Or does she? (laughs) (laughs) And then that's when Elliot blinks and she's back to normal. And then after he snaps out of it and Mrs. Redmond is still alive, he's like, I've got you now, don't I? Referring to the bye-bye man, of course. <laughs> and then he immediately rushes home before the bye-bye man tries to go after Sasha. He gives her a call while he's driving back home. He's like, listen, we have to not be afraid of him. Don't think about him. Don't give him any power and don't believe anything you see. And then he sees John in the room. And at first he thinks about stopping and he's like, no, this isn't real. So he drives literally through John and he's like, aha, I was right. But then he sees the librarian in the road and he does the same thing. He speeds up to drive through her. Guess what? Welp. <laughs> that was real. And he hits her head on. And that's where we're going to leave it. Because that's about where the climax starts, and I don't want to ruin that shit for anybody. But uh, real quick, because I, I thought you were going to mention, but whenever he was talking to the widow, she basically says, yeah, my husband spared me purposely. Like, he never, once he realized what was wrong, he never told me the name. Oh, yes. Thank you for bringing that, because I completely forgot to even write that part down, even though that's very <laughs> important. So. Like, that's why she was so adamant. Like, yeah, you have to kill everyone and then yourself. Like, I didn't survive by accident. It's because he never told me the name. He let me go on to live a life. Yes. So it's like, you may have your theory about, like, oh, well, if we just don't believe in him and if we're not afraid of him, he'll just go away. But I know. Like, I was spared, and so don't you bring this evil in my house. And mm-hmm. his sacrifice for nothing. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for, for bringing that up. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't. It's all good. So, that brings us to Sarah. What <laughs> makes this movie special? Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> first thing I want to say, because there wasn't really... Um, well, I guess I kind of touched on it before, but there wasn't a good spot to um, say it all at once. Um, this movie, like we addressed, has way too many little doodads thrown in here and there. It would be enough if it was like, oh, well, the name infects you with the curse and like gives you these symptoms like disassociation and hallucinations like that by itself would be enough right but then like we've got like oh well there's these coins and you can hear them dropping and oh there's 
like the train and you can hear it and see it and there's his uh his dog that shows up with him and leaves the claw marks for some reason like why are there so many extra things yeah we i i kind of tried to keep it as close to the central plot as i could just to not confuse people if that makes sense mm -hmm. and even that was still convoluted and confusing yeah it's like you know more is not necessarily better i guess exactly it's not food <laughs> too many cooks <laughs> This really is the too many cooks of movies. Like, just everybody had their own little idea, and it's like, oh, yeah, a mysterious coin. Sure, okay, <laughs> throw it in there. Like, why? So, yeah, too much going on. It's like a monster that doesn't even have a great character design. Like, you're not really scared of him. And then there's too much lore surrounding him besides just his name and it's just a mess it really is probably the messiest movie i've ever covered on here <laughs> and that's saying a lot yeah you've uh you've watched some humdingers mm -hmm. and remember there's only one that pissed me off so much i couldn't even finish it right okay what makes this movie special mm -hmm. First of all, besides the movie itself, it is what eventually formed the Bad Movie Club. So Hell yeah. I'm forever grateful. <laughs> 100%. That is the most important what makes this movie special in my mind. Yeah. Like, just by sheer uh, accident. Yes. Like, well, we're going to the theater. Let's see what this is about. Oh my god, what did we get ourselves into? Yes. And then we were like, we need more people next time. And then one thing led to another, and it, the Bad Movie Club was born. And then one thing led to another after that, and this podcast was, well, reborn from an idea I had several years ago. Right. It was, re it was phoenixed. <laughs> it rose from the ashes. Yes. Okay, so what makes this movie in particular special? Besides the sentimental value. Right. Well, it's definitely very meme-worthy. Oh, 100%. The monster is just laughable. Mm -hmm. Like, anytime you see him, it does not strike fear into your heart. No, it does not. Like, they try for a jump scare, like showing him really fast because that's the only way that he would actually scare you. Like, if you look at him too long, it's like, no, that ain't it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you're just a dude with really long fingers and a hoodie. Mm -hmm. There's like 200 of them in every high school graduating class. <laughs> Am I right? You're just looking at the dude you graduated high school with. Yeah, so super meme. And uh, mm. I guess just the fact that it's one of those where, like, there's plenty of people that try to make bad movies on purpose. Like, mm -hmm. they've seen that it's a cult phenomenon, so, like, I went in on that. I'm going to make Sharknado. I'm going to do whatever. And I'm going to do it on purpose and hope that people enjoy it. But with this, it was like, no, 
this is a horror movie. It's having like a full release in theaters. Please come see our very scary movie that just happens to be called The Bye Bye Man. Exactly. It's like, how did you think that was going to go? You can't expect anyone to take a movie called The Bye Bye Man seriously. Or a villain called The Bye Bye Man seriously. Unless it was an animated children's movie where it's just like supposed to make them jump in their seat a little and it's like oh kids today we're gonna tell you about the bye-bye man Ooh. <laughs> exactly it's one thing with something like that like a disney pixar halloween movie mm-hmm. but a serious scary movie that you're trying to market towards adults not happening nope definitely not happening I mean, I'm still praying for a very unlikely sequel. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you never know. You never know. Oh, and obviously the very important point that must be made that the Bye Bye Man and the Babadook are boyfriends. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 100%. And they're very happy together. They love each other very much. <laughs> yes, they, they got together around the time the Babadook came out of the closet. Which I'm not sure how many of our listeners uh, remember this, but a few years back, Netflix accidentally categorized The Babadook as an LGBT movie. So, of course, the internet ran with that and so started insisting. Icon was born. Yes. Now that be- we've basically made The Babadook a gay icon now. So, of course, when The Bye Bye Man also like kind of came to Netflix and everything, everyone was like, ah, the bye-bye man he's mm-hmm. bi and he's in Wait. love with the babadook you think that's why they why he has a dog because like he and the babadook talk it maybe he's just like oh it's my turn to take care of it's like that's gonna take me on my because mm-hmm. let's be real there aren't very many queer couples that don't have pets true it's it's just science <laughs> and they're usually on some kind of extreme like they either get a really big dog or a really small dog or a really fat cat or some sort of unusual pet yes and it's the mastiff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what do you think makes this movie special that's a great question just the, I think it's the fact that it takes itself so seriously and it's called the Bye Bye Man, which we literally just talked about, but I feel you. That is 100% the main things that makes it special, because like the fact that they probably very seriously sat around a boardroom and in serious tones said the Bye Bye Man and tried not to laugh. And they're like, no, no, this is a serious movie. We can't be laughing at the villain's name. Yeah, like, like, I'm sure it took a whole team of folks to get, like, the villain's name and the title approved. And it's like, nobody saw an issue with this? Apparently not. But this, this movie... Your socks off for sure. Yes. But this movie is on Netflix... Everybody needs to see it at least once. Please watch it. I mean, please watch this movie. Lockdown has been lifted a lot of places, but 
I'm still being careful. I'm sure you are too. So mm-hmm. Don't have much else to do. Just open up Netflix and enjoy this movie. 100%. It is on a whole nother level. Maybe smoke or drink before you watch it. It might add to the fun. Maybe drink every time they say the bye-bye man. Yeah, and every time you hear the train. Yes. And then die of alcohol poisoning. (laughs) We're only slightly terrible people, aren't we? A little bit, a little bit. So next week I'm going to do Josie and the Pussycats. Hopefully I can get somebody to do it with me because this, this is a very fun movie and I love talking about it. So I mentioned this a little bit in the little preview for the quarantine edition of Fail Films 101 that I did. Mm-hmm. This movie is, it's debatable whether it's good or bad. Right. What it is, is very intelligent. It's very campy. It's very fun. And it's very underappreciated. And the soundtrack, <laughs> the soundtrack is gold. So... I definitely recommend it to everybody. This all this movie also, it holds a very special place in my heart because it's the movie that my sister and I constantly rented at Blockbuster. Oh man. To the point where it was to the, to the point where we spent more money renting it than we ever would have buying it for ourselves. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. This was like legit our favorite movie, and it is still one of my top ten favorite movies, good or bad. Oh, I love that. Yes, so I highly recommend it. So, as always, y'all, you can find us on Facebook at Fail Films 101. You can find us on Twitter at Fail Films 101. We're available, we're hosted on Anchor. You can find us on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, a multitude of podcasting platforms. I think some of you guys even listen on Spotify. What else? What else do I normally say? It's been so long since I recorded an episode. We've got a few episodes on YouTube. You've got the website. Yes, I need to upload more. I, I need to convert more of my audio to a YouTube format so that I can upload them all to YouTube eventually. That was another project that I was going to do and got swept up in my job. And yeah. Accessibility. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're going to make, we're, we're making the YouTube so that more people can listen without having to subscribe to a podcast. All that fun stuff. I should probably also transcribe these at some point, too, when I have the time to do so. Yeah. Make it even more accessible. Mm-hmm. Which, if someone can, could uh, transcribe all 500 and some odd episodes of My Brother, My Brother and Me, I'm sure I could do it of this. <laughs> right. Whoever transcribed my Bim Bam, kudos to you. Literal angel. Right. All right. Anything you want to plug, Sarah? I am not very online, but I am happy for you, and I'm happy to be doing this again. It's always fun. Hell yeah, it's a blast. I'm Professor J. Class dismissed. Good to be back.